Hello, welcome back to OP is OP, the podcast where we go through the One Piece manga front to back. I, as always, am Jacob, the super rookie of One Piece, joined by my co-host, the super veteran, Justin. Yo, everyone, what's up? Today, we are, at long last, finishing the Water 7 arc. Last time, we wrapped up at chapter 341, and we are going all the way up through chapter 374 today. And I will say one more time, obligatorily, if you haven't read up to that point, you probably want to do so before listening, because now we are really, truly spoiling absolutely everything about this arc. Absolutely. Like, there are so many theories and plot developments that happen in this arc that will likely finish in the next one or future arcs. So a lot of it, it's speculation at this point, but at first at the same, well, sorry, well, at the same time, there are some continuations with have occurred from before. So as a slight recap, they get to water seven, they lose two thirds of the money to trying to fix the ship. It doesn't work out very well, but the major issue that occurs was Usopp and Luffy disagree with how they do it. Luffy wants to get a new ship and move on. Utsat wants to fix the ship, no matter what the cost. And the split happens, unfortunately. Very unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I, I agree with you that this arc, the whole climax segment, it, it ends with a huge amount of cliffhangers and unanswered questions, kind oh, of yeah. open-ended, which leads pretty much directly into this next arc, like, as we can see where we're heading at the end of the arc, right? I would sure fucking hope so. Like, the, the, yeah, so you would hope going that we get at least most of those questions. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, so basically, continuing from last time, how it ends up, the Straw Hats trying to clear their name. They try and visit an iceberg who was almost assassinated by what we can assume is CP9, but the locals are saying it was Robin, or sorry, Iceberg was saying it was Robin, and he's was still thinking that it was the Straw Hats. So they're trying to get in and rescue Robin, trying to clear things up at the same time. But yeah, CP9 moving in, and they're moving in with force when they're moving in. Well, they're taking care of the Gaia Law defenders all over the place. And we just see like this one dude making a kick that cuts down the walls in half. Someone else taking a blow directly from, uh, I think, what was his name? The, the seashell beard dude. He's taking a direct blow from that guy and not flinching at all. Blue so, it, right? Yeah, blue. The uh, th- that's oh, well, that's the villain. I'm talking about the good guy that was trying to fight the CP9 guy. Oh, I think that Bali? was Bluno. The, uh, yeah. Hang on, God, I wrote their names like way later, but yeah. yeah. The guy with the so, <laughs> uh, no, Polly is the guy with the rope. Lulu was the guy with the two guns. There was the third guy who was a big, massive dude, not Bluno, Tilestone. who had Tilestone. Thank you, it's Tilestone. Um, yeah, I think that guy was trying to hit uh, what we later discover is Bluno, but he's wearing the the costume that hides his identity but i think i am jumping a little ahead here but but basically it's gonna get hard for us to try and describe what's going on because a lot of it is action taking getting into place yeah right now. here it's sometimes it's at the scene it's more about i think the key points you know because mm-hmm. you have like basically just a really big kind of free-for-all going on like in the galley law like our mm. iceberg's house or whatever i guess we're at the galley law yep. office right and he's in a room there <laughs> Straw Hats doing with the mob, CP9 doing with Galley Law. Yeah, like all the and Straw Hats are invading because they want to talk to Iceberg at the same time that CP9 is invading. And then, of course, they cross paths at Iceberg. Mm-hmm. But before everyone gets together, we get our first major like plot development, like major plot development. Because yes. my criticism of Robin has obviously been... You know, temporary. I know that we'll eventually get to that point. But my Christmas always been, what's her deal? I don't know what's her deal. I know we're going to get there, though. And this is like the first major 
kind of bit, but it's also interlocked with a serious uh, plot development going on, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, what is the deal with Iceberg? Why is he calling her like this demon? What is the deal? Right. I'm trying to right. I mean, personally go on why she wanted for so much berries at the age of eight. What is the deal? So we get our first uh, confrontation where Robin and another masked stranger beat everyone, beats everyone else and confronts Iceberg once more. And they have like a confrontation where they almost like a Mexican standoff because Iceberg manages to get a gun drawn and she at the same time. So they have like these, you know, arguments with each other. But mm-hmm. it was incredibly fascinating because, yeah, we get more in depth with the Poneglyphs and what exactly they are with Iceberg almost spelling it out where it's basically these are blueprints to ancient weapons. And because Robin's the only one who can reactivate the ancient weapons, that makes her such a high target. And why Iceberg was kind of like, that's kind of why I, I didn't get rid of those blueprints because I need you to get yourself out of the open. Because as far as we know, you're the only one who can read these Poneglyphs and therefore start the creation of these ancient weapons. So if mm-hmm. I kill you, the threat's eliminated. It doesn't matter how many more blueprints are out there, how many more Poneglyphs. If you're taken care of, problem right. solved. Ruthless, yeah. but at the same time, holy shit. Okay, there's that bit of detail gone. Yeah, and it's really interesting lore tidbit. Just uh, mm. as you said about the Poneglyphs and they're somehow being related to ancient weapons, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm trying to be fair. I'm not going to be like, ancient weapons, are they alive? Like, uh, are they organic? Are they, you know, like this is weird... A, like, is that another love, Cthulhu thing? <laughs> Lovecraft. I was going to say Lovecraftian because Cthulhu can't be created by man, but Lovecraftian in the sense that you do mm-hmm. the, the, the culty shit, the right amount of pieces in place, then they are alive. And the reason why I go with that approach is because there's a direct line where he said, in the event it went out of control, the meaning the weapon that they were to create. Mm-hmm. That's why the other blueprints existed for, by the engineers of the past, so that you, you would be able to create a replica to combat it. In the, in the event it went out of control, not an organization that made it, not the people piloting the weapon or using the weapon, it's almost referring to the weapon itself. So that made me go... Like it's sentient. Ooh. Yeah. Like it's sentient, exactly. That's, so That's an interesting the, way to interpret yeah. that line. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie to you. Yeah, so almost sci-fi, maybe even fantasy. So that's why I was just like, that's how I saw it. So it adds a lot more extra tension where I'm just like, okay, it's not just a big-ass nuclear bomb, right? That's what, you know, we were kind of getting into that because it's called the One thing that I I understood differently in what you were just saying, you said uh, the blueprint that Iceberg, well, that Frankie has, right? Mm -hmm. It is a replica, whereas the impression that I got was... That it was just a blueprint for something that would somehow combat the ancient weapon? I think... Okay, sorry. Yeah, I jumped ahead with that discussion. So, um, Iceberg does have the blueprint for the Pluton. The ancient weapon that... This is the one that has a name. The Pluton. You know, Plutonium, whatever it is. But there was a decoy that he told Polly to get to try and distract some of the CP9 agents. And hopefully that would make them think, Oh, he didn't actually have the blueprints. Never mind. This is a failure mission. Move on. But in reality, he gave Frankie uh, the actual blueprints. So, but CP9 was already aware of that because, you know, they're able to discern um, like, okay, so from our, your past meetings and events with these figures like four or five years ago that we kept track of, yeah, this person is the, pers- is the closest uh, suspect that we have to, who actually has the blueprints. I was referring to 
him talking about the danger of the poneglyphs and why there's multiple of them out there. That's why I was saying, okay, we need multiple of them to come out the original one. If that makes sense, or <laughs> there's a lot going on here. <laughs> there's a lot going on here. I don't know if what you know in the future is, uh, you know, distracting what I'm saying. No, no, or no, I'm no, just no, unclear no. of what I'm saying. It. I, I guess I've it. I've heard obviously a lot of uh, like meta fan talk, mm-hmm. you know relating to this thing and i've heard i guess now two different interpretations of this whole thing where some people seem to think that it is a blueprint for what pluton is and some people think it's a blueprint for a weapon to combat pluton oh okay now i i was in the second camp okay kind of them but it also does i don't know it is vague it's vague wording they use when they refer to it you know the blueprints Because how I interpret it was what you said the first time, where it's like, no, this is the blueprint to Bluton, where if you remember, uh, I believe Crocodile, right? Back in Alabasta, he was hoping to find the Pluton on, on the Poneglyph at uh, Alabasta. Yeah. Oh, he... Okay, now I'm connecting why you think it's the second one that you just said. Because if the Pluton was probably at Alabasta, right? Because uh-huh. Robin did say, no, that was a blueprint for a weapon. I just didn't want to talk Crocodile. Yeah, and she, well, she said, like, this? it actually... <laughs> The, that Poneglyph was about Pluton, like 100%. Yeah. I just didn't want to tell him that because then he could, you know, build it, potentially, mm-hmm. maybe. Get his hands on it, etc. Whatever it is. Still no clue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is major plot development. And obviously, as you could tell, I'm kind of like bouncing around because it's something in development and we'll get more clarification going on. But the main well, the, thing the reveals I'm... are the real meat of this. These last oh, like yeah. thirty chapters, and definitely, just really definitely. good action, and then uh, I'd say mm-hmm. our delicious cheesecake at the end is our our boy Mister Prince. But we'll get there. Oh yes, yes, exactly. But the reason why I'm kind of like trying to, I guess, like not think too hard about you know the pluton and the actuality of the danger of the weapon is we got again the character background info that we're getting here, where uh, by Iceberg's mentor by the name of just Tom. We'll just stick with that for now because we'll go yeah. more into that character later. He warned Iceberg of a little girl who'd escaped the O'Hara incident 20 years ago. And immediately I'm like, I need this fucking backstory now. It has an actual <laughs> term. It has a key phrase of like. An yeah, incident? like it's it's an event. Clearly uh-huh. is what you get from that. I agree. And I don't know if it's my bias because I've been hanging around, you know, with the straw hats being the narrative focus. But when I think of a world government running the whole stick and there's a, a something in the past called an incident. I'm thinking there's no fucking way. It's as simple as an incident. It was probably a fucking massacre that the government well, was behind. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we do know uh, what happens a little bit. Actually, no, we don't kind know exactly of. what happens. Yeah. Cause we, they said we get why she context. had her bounty. Right? Yeah. I'm talking about, like, yeah, I'm talking in, about right now what I'm in feeling. Cliff notes. Yeah. Yeah. I was just making sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I definitely got that. I think the term was. It's more about like why or how it happened, right? Yeah. And so, but at this point, yeah. Mm, so we get the 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 name drop of the O'Hara incident. So immediately, I'm thinking like, okay, keep that word in my brain, O'Hara. That's very important. But there's that also that extra ice and vice from Iceberg, where Robin he from Iceberg's perspective, Robin wants to share the ideas of the demons of O'Hara. So I'm thinking like mm-hmm. now I'm also going, okay, what is going on? Is this like a group? Is this a cult? Is this just a group of people with this talent, but they're considered demons because they just want to read the poneglyphs? But 
yeah, because we get that clarification where, you know, there is history, there is ancient knowledge of culture behind this, but you're trying to create, but like most of it is like blueprints to a weapon. And obviously Iceberg is reluctant to help out the world government. And he's like, no, I'm not going to allow you to help the government. I don't care what your actual reasons are. So there's also, and it's also hard to keep track of like what the actual motives are because Robin is yeah. being her usual self. She's being unclear, vague, distant. Obviously, as a reader, you're probably, you're, you're constantly, we're constantly being fed that, oh, it's because I'm bad and I don't want to talk to you guys again. And, but we all know that, okay, there's more going on here. There's more going on here. But she's still keeping that, that picture where it's hard to read. But either way, we're getting like, mm-hmm. we're, we're getting more and more bits of the background. So I'm like, all right, it's probably going to be foreshadowing or like little bits and pieces from hopefully it's going to be the next arc, but further on. But while this confrontation is going on, fucking Luffy just Kool-Aid man through the wall and joins the conversation. It, Zoro does too, like at the exact same time. Oh gosh. Uh, oh wait, no, not yet. Uh, not Sorry, I jumped ahead. Luffy does barge into the building, not to Iceberg's room. Sorry, I know you're referring to another scene later on. Sorry, I misspoke. Uh, he Kool-Aid man through the wall because he meets Polly first. Because Polly is trying to get the blueprints. He was trying to do, um, he was following instructions, Iceberg said. They were to the fake blueprints, but well, we get our first taste of CP9 agents, and they're fucking tough. They yeah. immediately uh, restrain both Polly and Luffy to the ground with like this weird like restraint or ring power. I forget exactly what they say, but yeah. we get the big reveal that the agents behind all of this were insiders: Luchi, Kaku, Khalifa, and the bartender Bruno, as well as Robin. And, of course, the mastermind, Hattori, but we all knew that going forward. So this reveal, like, it's hard to describe because it's, again, it's plot developments that I feel like will be fleshed out much more in the future. But the key thing here is the government had intel really, sorry, they had intel a while ago that, yo, there's some blueprints in this area. We know there's a feeling we need to put like spies and agents real early on, get icebergs trust, do all the snooping you can. So when the reveal happens, you get all the Galia lot people, including iceberg going, you guys were government agents. You motherfucker. Like it is like a really, it is classic spy storytelling. And I was loving it when I was reading through it. It was fucking great. Agreed. I was, it was also kind of sad at the same time. Cause one of them was Kaku. And remember, there was a, a bit, <laughs> right. there was a, a, like, for, like, five chapters or so, where I thought, this guy could be the next straw head. I'm just like, oh, no, I, I rescind that. I'm pulling that back. Yeah. There's, <laughs> like, no there's like, another uh, quick second in this chapter, or in this section, mm-hmm. too, where it feels like it could be Polly again, when he, like, you know, sees the faces of his Yeah, and then he has that determination, right? And it looks he like he's about to have a flashback. Like, he starts having mm-hmm. little mini flashbacks. Yeah. And as a reader, you kind of start thinking... Oh, is this it? Is this, you know, is he about to have his straw hat flashback? Mm-hmm. Is he the shipwright? He's just so he's many right, teases. He's right next to Luffy. It feels like to me for like, yeah, who's the shipwright? You know, Oda's just throwing him out there and little bread trail you gotta follow along. Mm-hmm. There's even that moment where uh, Luffy is listening to Polly where he's like, I'm gonna make sure that I get this job done because Iceberg's taking care of us so long. I'm gonna make sure, like, you know, everything is done correctly, done, um, you know, clear his name. I'm gonna make sure he gets out here alive. But, Luffy has that look on his face where it's 
I guess now in hindsight, it's clear, but at the time you're thinking, yeah, it's like, is he looking at him going like, Oh, I want you on my crew or like the usual thing, right? Where it's like, I respect your determination. Therefore I'm gonna do everything in my power to make sure you get what you want. Cause I respect people with dreams and passions, right? right. Clear, clear goals. So, but either it's, way, yeah, I was it's kind of the Kobe like effect, right? Where mm-hmm. when Kobe, like back way back in like chapter exactly three, with Alvida, he finally stands up for himself and like Luffy helps him. Same kind of thing. Yeah, here. could Floss be all. Iceberg's horrible with debts, and he's a horrible conservative when it comes to the dress code of women. But he has he has he has a goal. He has a passion to help out Iceberg and the Galila Company, his family. So that's why Luffy respects him. Whereas like Kobe was like he was a horrible coward at the time, but at was able to take that step to be brave, you know, to stand up to um, Iron Mace. What's her name? Starts with an A. Al- Alvina? Al- Alvida. Alvida. Okay, I said Alvina. But yeah, um, yeah, you get that little moment where you think Polly's going to be the maybe the straw hat. I didn't really think yeah. that, but I could definitely see that because I had a slight suspicion. But I was still thinking at this point, I was still thinking Frankie, where I'm like, oh, yeah, Dude, especially Frankie because big it cuts show. the Frankie like right after that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And he's just being awesome and yeah. so likable so, in this scene to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to skip over what CP9 is. Basically, they have their monologue, right? They talk, they, this, they yeah. reveal their dark secrets to Iceberg. Uh, the CP9 is an intelligence agency. They're the rogues. They're the, they're the secret police of the world government where they don't exist. And yet they do the worst dirty work kind of available. It, right. Again, classic spy slash super cop storytelling and i don't i really like that kind of the stuff because it's usually really cheesy if but entertaining if well done and it's one piece so i have faith that it will be good right um and not to mention it is getting a little serious because hattori is not speaking for luchi luchi is speaking himself a little disappointing but at the same time that's also <laughs> yeah. like the like the the trouble of like oh shit serious um but like but i inter- said way back in the day there was it was kind of a, a meme, if you will, mm-hmm. but it was a joke theory about the pigeon being the the bad guy, like the actual bad guy controlling the body. Oh, that's a meme. That's not the truth. Oh, darn. Mm, shame. I, I was really thinking whether it was or not. <laughs> it was a very popular meme at this point. Yeah, like yeah, a popular theme that Hattori is the leader of the entire world government. He's the autocrat behind it all. I can believe that. I can definitely see that. He's a pigeon. But yeah, they gave him the brain brain fruit, mm-hmm. granting him super <laughs> intelligence. <laughs> you will bring me the tie that I want now. But anyway, so what they int- but they what they do bring up is the government's perspective, or at least CP9's perspective, on why they're going to such drastic lengths to obtain the blueprints. From the way they see it, is if Robin or anyone else were to help like any faction that wasn't the world government to get the blueprints and create the weapon, then it immediately creates this power vacuum that didn't exist before, but on a worldwide scale. And whoever has the weapon slash even just the blueprints and has the means to create it, they immediately become a target. And because CP9 is all high and mighty in government, they're just like, and it's best that we have it because we are the government. You can trust us, smiling face thumbs up kind of, of thing course, propaganda yeah. poster so they bring that up so it's not yeah but the way that they brought it up was i thought interesting because they described it as a power vacuum that you didn't realize was there until it's made so mm. that's why it's best if we have it but obviously iceberg does not trust that perspective and he actually has a good quote where he's just it's actually a nice panel where it's just like him like looking like full of doubt and the betrayal at Lucci, where he's just like 
I just know human nature, boy, that's not going to happen. Government does this. It's going to the worst case scenario is going to happen regardless because people will die in the thousands, if not hundreds of thousands to obtain the blueprints or the weapon you made. I don't care if you're the government, people will die, right? It's not this be all end all. He's talking about um, this is my historical connection. Sorry for those who hate history. But it's my historical connection of the inventor of the Gatling gun. When he thought he made that weapon, he would end wars because, oh, if people saw how deadly this weapon is, no one would ever go to war, right? Because they would see it's futile, right? Yeah. Why would you throw your bodies? And then obviously that didn't happen. Instead, decades later of the invention, we get World War One, and, you know, the tens of millions of casualties. Morbid shit, right? That, that ideology doesn't work. So Iceberg is totally in the right in this case where he's like, I know human nature. People are going to be opportunistic. Um, but we get the big uh, reveal that we already kind of mentioned at this point of Frankie having the blueprints because CP9 reveals, because, you know, they're agents from eight years ago, that they had a, the, the rumor that this character named Cuddy Flam died eight years ago, but they had enough information and evidence that that person is not dead, they're alive, and they changed their identity to Frankie. Now we need to find him, right? That was the big ending to that big revelation. I yeah. think before it cuts to oh no, I'm, and I'm while we're here, because I did mention this in our unrecorded pre-show, quote unquote, uh-huh. that we always do our little pre-discussion. I love Water Seven probably more, well, definitely I think more than any arc we've read up to this point, and mm-hmm. more than most arcs in the series for sure. Yeah, but I just thought in retrospect, this scene would have been even better if the whole. The only thing that didn't really hit there was the whole Cuddy Flam thing because yeah. it wasn't built up to enough. Yeah, I actually I do agree with that because this is just an exposition dump at this point where it's yeah, it's just Lucci just telling us word for word the info they got. So I do agree in terms of like a narrative presentation it definitely could have been a lot better. Absolutely. Yeah, like the reveal that Frankie is Cuddy Flam, it kind of is just yeah. okay at that point if, if there yeah. had been a little bit more of a mystery that i'm and i'm not saying i know like oh you should have done it exactly like this you know yeah but just something to build up to that reveal being relevant. yeah why you wouldn't throw a bunch of random names in the background that said cf or like little nods but yeah instead this comes out of nowhere where it's like cutty flam is this person of interest that knows you and tom so yeah I, I can see that definitely it didn't hit me until you brought it up but at the same time I'm like yeah that definitely could have been proved because usually One Piece and Oda is very cle- more much more clever with like plot reveals like this. This definitely right. seems like your more traditional exposition. But then again, I guess it didn't hit me because, like I said, it's like a, a spy thriller slash cop story. So scenes like this are like the norm where it's like the bad guys monologuing very to true. you, right? Where it's like, yeah, but by yeah. the way, we did this super top secret, super cool dude intel. And here's our three page monologue of exposition. But Again, I was in for the ride at that point. And also, I was just concerned. I was just still thinking, like, O'Hara, what the hell is going on with that? But mm-hmm. we see, yeah, I was about to jump ahead, but I forgot. This is, actually concludes here. We see the CP9 in, in uh, action because at the end of this reveal about Cuddy Flam, uh, now the Straw Hats break through. Uh, Luffy escapes. He was able to bust through a wall. <laughs> At the same time, Zoro finds the door and cuts clean through. There's a nice, great panel where it's like kind of at the bottom, and you just, you just see a line through the door, and you see like cracks on the wall. And then the next one is a two-page panel of everyone breaking in at the same time. <laughs> a great little reveal panel. right there. It is great. 
Um, but we do see the CP9 in action. I'll go through this real quick because, again, it's kind of action. Um, we kind of learned that the CP9 has learns that they have, sorry, they learned the art of the six powers, which is a different type of power we've been seeing because usually it's devil fruit or like weapons. In this case, it's a, there are martial art techniques that basically give you like anime powers. Yeah, that's a, the, yeah, it is like a martial art of, of some sort. It's mm -hmm. a good word, yeah. It, I want to say, I want to make the comparison to like Avatar Last Airbender, where you're like, you know, you're, to learn to know waterbending, you have to know Tai Chi movements, right? And in this case, like, oh, to know the six powers, you need to go through some rigorous, tough training. But once you master it, then you get these crazy abilities that you could use. One of them is Shave, which is basically like the hunter's bone from Bloodborne. There's uh, the finger pistol, which is a, a nod to Bruce Lee, but with one finger. Um, there's moonwalking. Oh, wait, straight up. Okay, that's another music reference right there. Uh, moonwalk, yeah. which lets him jump around in the air. Um, God, I, there's a couple other ones too. Iron body, that's the main one we see a lot. Iron body, where mm -hmm. you do like the monk action. I don't know if you guys see videos of like monks on like YouTube or whatever, where they are like sitting in pose and they're just like in deep meditation. And there's another monk like striking them with like a stick or even like a like a punch, and they just don't move. Like it's, I don't know how they do it. I think they have the pain, but they learn to control their outbursts. But regardless, it just looks like they have an iron body. So I just made that reference. There's paper art, which gives you, you know, crazy dodge powers, like you're in Dragon Ball Z and you're higher power level. And the main power besides Finger Pistol, which is Tempest Kick, which basically gives you such a great roundhouse kick that it's as sharp as a blade cutting through a wall, like making Zoro sweat over there. So six powers. I'm not sure how important it is. I just wanted to list them. Is because that five? Uh, Iron Body, Paper Art, Moonwalk, Tempest Kick, Finger Pistol, and Shave. Shave, okay. We did get all six. Nice. Yeah, sorry. I, yeah, I write that one real quick. Shave was the, the the Hunter's Bone from Bloodborne. You use it, you just start teleporting everywhere. Yeah, um, a, little, a little dash. Yeah, but during the confrontation, um, Robin escapes. Uh, they weren't able to fight off. If anything, we learned that we learned a couple of... Uh, more devil fruit powers we learn one has <laughs> i couldn't help but laugh but it definitely turned out to be a really fucking overpowered ability later on right. one of them has the door door fruit where you're just like oh he can just walk through walls and put them back into place okay it's not as simple as that but when i saw that i'm just like well that's actually a very good infiltration power but it has a hilarious yeah. name. and door then door. we and then we have another silly name the cat cat fruit but holy shit, that's not what I think of when I think of a cat. <laughs> oh, hold on, it's, that is the cat cat fruit model leopard. <laughs> model leopard. Okay, I don't. Know. I actually don't remember them saying that. I just remember them saying cat cat fruit, and then talking about the differences in the devil fruits. And yeah, of course, yeah, Chopper. One hundred percent. He said cat 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 fruit model leopard. Okay. Okay. So that yeah. Okay. <laughs> but either way, he's so massive because then I think he does a tempest kick or just like some swipe of his claws. And just destroys the entire ceiling and upper floors of the building they're in. And then uses his immense strength to throw Luffy and Zoro, the strongest members of the Straw Hats, opposite ends of the island and just go, all right, we out, burn the place down, peace. Yeah. And so power scaling, right? Power difference, build, building it up for the next arc. Because we don't get a conclusion to this confrontation in this arc. So right away, I'm thinking... That's a big gap you're going to have to deal with. Holy shit. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be like Crocodile Fight, where he's going to find a weakness and therefore, you know, take advantage of it. 
or we're going to get a training montage. I don't know the deal, but yeah, we got the power creep or not, not the power creep, the power difference. Yeah. He, he is a, a very strong opponent as we've seen yeah. thus far. Absolutely. Not sure if I like the look, but I do. But then again, he has the slate hat. So everything works out in the end. Oh man. Um, I think he looks dope in the suit. Well, that's what I'm saying, in the suit and the hat in the form. I'm, but I'm imagining if, like, you know, if you're having like, the battle damage and you don't have that look anymore. I'm just thinking, hey, it looks like a Hulk version of a leopard. Which, oh, he reminds me of the, <laughs> he kind of reminds me of the fighter from Mortal Kombat. What's his name? Dang. The Goro. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the Goro lookalike. Head. Yeah, the Goro lookalike. Is it Jing? Oh, no, I, th- I thought you meant the guy, King, the guy with the leopard head. Oh, okay, no, not King. I was thinking of, because I'm thinking, like, big bulky, like, super, super bulky. Like, almost, like, giant levels of big. There's that enemy, there's that fighter, uh, fighting game character in Mortal Kombat 9, at least, where he looks like Goro because he has four arms, but he had, like, the cat features. Oh, I don't know why. I was thinking of Tekken also, because King is from Tekken. <laughs> no, you're right. You got the leopard face. That's, yeah, that's, I just, I thought of a fighting game character relating to a leopard. I was like, the grappler. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways. Yeah, okay. Yeah, mm, yeah, they sorry. get pretty much destroyed. With yeah. no, they don't really seem to really even stand a chance in that confrontation. They just kind of get wiped. Like, yeah. you're a non-threat to me. Get out of here. Peace. I'm out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, the... Again, like, the trots are at their lowest point, and it seems like it only got lower because they're trying to desperately plea Robin before she escaped. Was like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And then you're still unclear of why she's doing this. And even Zoro is like, Luffy, do you see what I mean? Like, we can't treat her as a friend. Like, she's actively being hostile. Luffy being stubborn as fuck, as always, being, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. Something's going on. Turns out he's right, of course, but <laughs> without reasoning, it's that judge of character that he somehow nails it. But yeah, even Robin couldn't sell him on that. Um, but yeah, CP9 starts to burn the building. You think that Straw Hats are inside and Iceberg and Polly are going to burn. Like, it is just a big cliffhanger of what's going on. Um, while that's going on, we had the side plot going on of Frankie sending the his family to find Usopp, bring him to a secret workshop, and trying to lure the Straw Hats out so he can kick their ass still. But instead, what we get is this hilarious, like, jump where Usopp is captured, but he told Frankie what happened between him, Luffy, and the history of the Merry-Go, and right away, he's just, like, <laughs> sobbing his cyborg eyes out, going, dude, you've touched me, brother. I'm gonna write you a song. You're gonna be praised from the high heavens. I love you, bro. It's just... It's, <laughs> I it's love just that. Like, mm-hmm. Just it's like such a tragic tale. Yeah, <laughs> let me let me write you the song of your people. It gets like a fucking ukulele out of nowhere. Just starts just start strumming tunes. But the part that makes me sad is Usopp's been hardened at this point because he doesn't have like a comedic, funny response. I think ever since the argument with Luffy, he's only had one like comedic moment, like actual like Usopp classic moment where he saw like the rice balls, the rice donuts or whatever. I'm sorry, I said rice donuts. I'm thinking of the Pokemon thing still. I'm sorry. Um, like the food that the guy, the shop owner was offering yeah. him. And then he had like the, the massive drool face where it's like, oh, I need food. But since then, he's never had like his classic Usopp comedy moment. He's been like playing it straight or even annoyed. It's kind of sad at this point. Cause yeah, cause Usopp's usually a comic relief guy, but uh, it's just so sad. But luckily we have Frankie to offset the tone a little bit, but yeah definitely mm-hmm. <laughs> also, 
again, Frankie is just stealing the scenes wherever he's in because there's another part where Frankie is again being happy where, where he's just like, all right, you've impressed me with your story. And then, and I, I get why you have hard feelings for me because you stole, uh, I stole your money, but also remember you beat up my family and you trashed my house. And then next panel, he's fucking irate instantly. Where it's like, I want to kill him. I want to kill him. <laughs> Just loses his fucking mind again. And his sisters have to calm him down. And then next panel again, he's back to normal. <laughs> so it's like, okay, anger issues. To the like, there's it's one to a hundred. There's no in between with Frankie. He's either irate at a hundred or he's just calm. So I'm just thinking like he's got like Donald Duck vibes. This dude is going off the chain, <laughs> which is good for me because I love Donald Duck. But what I wanted to highlight on this is we learn because we know that Frankie's a dismantler, right? And the Mary goes in the warehouse. Usopp is clearly still trying to repair it. But we no, get now more. Frankie was actually originally a shipwright because mm-hmm. he apprenticed with Iceberg. Yes, uh, apprenticed with Iceberg uh, under Tom. But we also basically get what I wanted to clarify real quick. Uh, sorry, get over real quick is a continuation of the Luffy uh, Usopp fight because also Frankie is going. Your story has touched me here. No charge. Let me dismantle the ship for you. Put her at rest. Usopp again goes fuck no she's gonna sail me back home this is the legendary ship that's they sailed the grand blue she flew she's gonna take me home and it's gonna be a great story to tell right and frankie is going no that's not gonna work but then we get that reveal that gosh what did i write down right club yeah sorry i'm trying to get my my order well, I can I can kind of pick up for you a little bit the reveal. Yeah. Okay. That... So, yeah. Okay. So, can you mind covering for me of like uh the spirit? Oh, I'm trying to look at my notes. Sorry. Yeah. So, this is when Usopp then, after him and Frankie, they're kind of arguing, like actually start physically fighting even. But Usopp yeah. admits that he did already know that the Miriam's at the end of her life because back on Skypea, he said he could have swore he heard a voice saying. I'll carry you for a little bit longer. You know, right, I'll carry, okay, I'll carry everyone yeah, okay. just a while longer. And he thought, like, it was the Mary. And Frankie mm-hmm. confirms it, saying, oh, man, I didn't know if Club Alterman was actually real, but it's the spirit but of the ship that is really you loved proved it, yeah. and it comes to life. And clearly it is real. So that, that must yes. have been what you saw. Yeah, so it wasn't... Yeah, so Which, that is so sad, dude. It is. The spirit so of the Mary, like, I'll carry you just a little bit further. <laughs> Exactly. So, that yeah, that's why. So going back to where I jumped ahead again, sorry about that, where I jumped again earlier, where Frankie offers to dismantle, because then we have a different opinion, a different perspective, where Luffy was trying to be very stern, where it's like, no, we need to move on. We need to keep sailing the seas. We She's had her run. Frankie sees it as a shipwright's perspective and goes, Usopp, you're pushing this boat, the ship, way beyond her limits. After she did the impossible, you proved a spiritual legend to be true with the legend of Kalvalterman and got you back from Skypea. She should have sank a long time ago, but she's not. Now you have the chance. She's in port. Let me properly dismantle her. He's like we hear from Frankie's perspective. It's very strange because, again, Frankie's like another comedic character from this point. But now he's seeing this perspective where it's like, let me properly bury the ship, quote unquote, right? Dismantle the ship. Take apart the pieces, because from his perspective, the Marigo already did the impossible 
It's fantastic. That boat should have sank a long time ago. Now what you can do is, out of respect, put her down properly, right? Don't force, don't push the ship further so that she sinks out of the sea like every other abandoned ship that's sunk to like pirates or just poor maintenance. Mm -hmm. Just properly take care of it and I can do it for you. I'm a dismantler. But of course, Usopp goes, has still the same perspective we covered last time where it's, no, the Merigo is basically like a friend on a deathbed. I'm not going to give up on them. But Frankie has the, the opinion of the ship is on the deathbed, but they should have died a long time ago. Make peace. Move on. This is like Frankie's perspective. Obviously, Frankie and his very unique yeah, personality yeah. saying it. And I can but, compound on that. that he mm -hmm. is, he's basically saying the same, or he's saying what probably Luffy was feeling. Said we have to just have it. Because he, I think it was actually Luffy that mentioned having it dismantled there, right? He said, we'll have her dismantled here. We'll get a new ship. We'll move on. Or someone mentioned it, I'm sure, maybe in the fight. Yeah, and even if before. it wasn't Luffy who said it, Frankie is clarifying this perspective a lot better because it's coming from a dismantler slash shipwright who heard it from Usopp's point of view first and only his point of view. And he's touched because of the legend of the spirit. And he was like, no, this is a great, again, I, whenever we bring about Usopp, I always have to think of a, like a great story to tell, right? A great story, a legend, but Usopp's so like tunnel visioned on having this one specific story. He wants where the merry go sails all the way back to the East blue, back to the syrup village. Then he could tell the story there. Yeah. But Frankie's and Luffy and everyone else is like, that's not the reality, but we can do this instead, which is also a legendary act. We can take apart the merry-go. You can keep, you know, the figurehead, something to remind you. It doesn't have to end this way. But again, this difference of opinions is never changed because, yeah, the merry-go just, yeah, it's again, it's a very unique perspective is what I'm trying to say here. It's a lot going on because we already covered it last time. But Frankie is able to offer this different perspective. I thought it was like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. And or that scene really made me like Frankie because the perspective from which he was coming from was actually, I felt like he was empathizing with Mary, exactly with the he ship. Wasn't, he was he like, wasn't this if you villain. let this ship, like he respected Mary, you know, mm -hmm. like, if you let this ship after everything that it's done now that you just told me, you're going to try and go home and it's going to sink to the bottom of the ocean not knowing whether or not you survived wandering down there for eternity that is not a good end for this ship yeah the proper end i'm gonna dismantle it you know like and you're not yeah. gonna stop me yeah and we get that uh very actually very tragic scene where where it's just i guess tragic in my perspective because it's clear the how far usopp's down this rabbit hole of like this belief system that he has where frankie is like ripping a part of the ship usopp fends him away with like i think a ketchup star or something and then immediately goes it's okay mary i'll repair you i'll repair you it's okay it's okay it's okay even after he just said i know the ship is gonna sink and he still has like this obsessive personality where it's like i'm gonna get you to the end i'm gonna get you to the, his end which is basically back to east blue and you're just thinking like usopp bro at the same again it's a fascinating perspective and story that he has that he's has this tunnel vision it's sad because everyone everyone is telling him please dude please do this do this but he's so so focused on getting that perfect story of the merry go sailing the grand blue or a good portion of the grand blue according to Usopp's point of view skypia and back and the spirit that kept on going you know but 
it's that's not the case it really isn't but before like also i will say the what i do like about this argument despite the fact that you know Usopp revealed that he knew that the merry-go was gone and actually like you know done is that no one changes each other's minds frankie doesn't persuade Usopp that he's wrong or Usopp doesn't persuade frankie of that he's wrong instead cp9 just crashes in because they caught some of the frankie family and able to find it and so now cp9's here and now we got this development going on where they caught Frankie. Or well, this one development primarily. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so at this point, we get our next big story bit. But in terms of like big character flashback moments, also, by the way, more evidence that I'm pretty damn sure Frankie's a new member of the Straw Hats. He gets a flashback sequence. Um, this is not really complex. I don't feel like we have to spend too much time covering this. It's not like the Drum Island flashback with Chopper. Not at all. It's more about the origins of Frankie Iceberg, or sorry, Cuddy Flam. I terrible name, <laughs> but uh, Cuddy Flam Iceberg and Tom. Tom's a really cool dude. Made the legendary ship for Goldie Roger. Uh, he puts on. He's told that he was gonna be executed for because he made that ship, but he offers a deal of, yo, Water 7 is really hurting right now. It's sinking to the bottom of the ocean, but what can bring the people back to life and energy is if we have a miracle invention that allows us to be connected to other islands so that we have a you know some free pass in case we get to that point where the island sinks. We have an escape route. And at the same time, it can be used to bring in trade. I have this blueprint for this awesome train. Give me 10 years to build it. Government makes them a deal, and they get building. While we learn about Iceberg and uh, Frankie during these flashback sequences. Is there anything of particular note throughout that that you want to discuss? Because it is uh, characterization for Frankie. It is, like you said, is. potential. It's like a, a checkbox almost at this point for, okay, he might be our next straw hat. He got like yeah. an official he got, he got the tragically ending flashback. Mm-hmm. And it did uh, uh, add some context to the whole Pluton thing. A little bit, yeah. We learned that before Frankie became a dispenser, he loved building battleships. Like, it's basically a kid with a bunch of Legos in the Lego box. But he has yeah. the skill to actually make battleships. And it's like the fantasy of like, oh, I have my own fleet. It's Frankie's fleet. These cool ships are going to take down Neptunians. Like his vision was. He's oh, like he's got Tony a- Stark, but in, you know. Yeah, a prodigy. In, in like, but in the 1800s with. And with weapons. Yeah, a weirdly a anachronistic 1800s. Mm-hmm. A little, That's the kind yeah, of vibe can- Frankie, like I got from him. The stuff you kind of weirdish, but. Yeah, building inventions. Like he, he would rather build unique battleships that could battle Neptunians directly, like with traditional cannons and such, rather than. No, never mind. I was gonna say he he dedicated himself to the battleships instead of the train project, but that's not true. He actually helped the train. It was just in his side time he built the fleets. Yeah. But we we see the big difference where Frankie was. Yeah, he was very naive, where he just wanted to build ships and have fun. He was a kid with the Lego box, or like you said, uh. Tony Stark just making weapons and making cash and laying with babes and just not thinking about the consequences. And Iceberg is warning him about again and again, right? Uh, even as kids going, if you build these inventions, people are going to use them to hurt people. Like you should be have more care for it. Frankie doesn't care at that point, but yeah, he's just doing his own thing. Uh, 
I'm not sure how important it is, but we got, oh, sorry, one of them is very important because I'm pretty sure it's the name of the next arc. I haven't looked it up yet. It's E's Lobby. Uh, the government told Tom that, you know, if you're don't, if you don't build this ship, we're not going to excuse your, uh, your sentence and we'll send you to Eni's lobby, which tells me, okay, that's like, um, Alcatraz or some terrible prison. And we got the name of Goldie Rogers ship, the Oro Jackson. Yeah. I don't know if it's a reference to anything, but I'll keep that name remembered as well. Cause that's the ship. That's the ship of the pirate King. So we'll see what that, um, the main thing that you can we can get from this backstory as well, besides the fact that Tom is a very heartwarming, loving character, he reminds me of like the neighbor you have down the street who hosts like a barbecue party like every month and just invites the whole neighborhood because fuck it, I like I love talking and I love people. That's how Tom was perceived by me. Also, fish mm-hmm. person, if I recall, right? Yes, he's a. He's so I thought that was interesting. Completely. <laughs> complete opposite of Arlog in personality. Yeah. Where Arlog is like super racist and evil and then Tom's like nah, nah, nah. Chill we, old grandpa, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, come come to my barbecue party. Come on. We see the um the station master who helped the Straw Hats at the very beginning of the arc. She was a secretary for Tom. Um, There was also shoot. Sorry. So we also get a name drop of this officer who was working with the government, who was trying to make sure that even though Tom is trying to get excused for his crime, he knows Tom has access to the blueprints. Like it's, I think it's a major hunch he has, but because of the scumbag, his gut feeling, he's going by that alone. He's willing to frame Tom and Frankie and the workers Mm -hmm. of a horrible crime. His name is Spandam. Spandam? Spandam? Spandam. And, like, just from this guy in one or two panels, Emily, I'm just like, ooh, I'm going to hate this guy, aren't I? Just, he looks, <laughs> yeah. he just looks. He's got that, like, that early One Piece Hell Meppo, like, punch me face. You know? Oh, God, even worse than Hell Meppo. That's the Hell best Meppo, way to describe it as a pun- punch me face. Yeah, I can go with that, but Hell Meppo, you knew he had no, like, strength to actually back up what he was saying. It was more about, oh, I'm going to get my dad to do it. Spandam, at least you knew he could at least contact resources to help him out. So I guess it's similar yeah. to, I'm going to get my dad to get you. But at the same time, he you knew that he could probably do some shit himself and if he could. But if anyone's going to provide an equal fight, he probably will back down. Whereas Hummel was like, yeah, pretty much a coward. But yeah, just looking at the guy was just fucking ugh, disgusting me. Um, but the big thing that happens is they build the train time. Good news all around, but Spandam finds the fleet of empty battleships that Frankie was building, uses it to attack government, the government port or civilians walking by, frames uh, Tom and the uh, and his apprentices that, oh, they attacked the government, they did a horrible crime, put them in jail, and let me, let's apprehend all their shit, right, so I can get the blueprint wherever he may hide it. Mm-hmm. And we get this character change where, you know, Frankie is riddled with guilt. He saw the entire fleet being used against him. He saw the entire, um, you know, his creations do harm and kill people. And right. he had this big moment where he says, I regret building those ships. And it just awakened this anger in Tom. And I think he Dexit, I forget what Tom does exactly. He rips it out of his chains that he was his handcuffs, his irons. Yeah, he does he punches him. Yeah, he punches him down and just goes, Never be ashamed. You gave life. 
coming back to like Frankie's perspective of like appreciating ships and their personalities. It comes from Tom here where Tom goes, you gave life to these creations. You gave life to these ships, regardless of how they're used afterwards. Never regret what you did. Almost like as if you gave child to this birth, never regret having this child kind of thing. Right. Be proud of what you did. You made it with your own two hands. And of course, Bandom is just like not giving a shit. He's just putting the blame going, look how dangerous Tom is open fire. Everyone shoots him. And yeah, at this point, I'm just like, God, this guy's a fucking cunt. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what else this guy's doing, but he's on the he's on his way to being number one. I don't know, man. Just everything he's doing. Um, Frankie has this one last desperate attempt at revenge, right? Because uh, because of the Frankie fam, the Frankie fleet being like this distraction to pose as a sorry i'm bumming with my words right now because spandom framed the frankie fleet and and colonel put charges on the entire uh workshop the tom asked hey can you forgive the crime of this rather than my creation of the oro jackson that way you still send me the Enies lobby Sorry, yeah. I said that completely out of order. I'm sorry. Uh, let me oh. let me <laughs> let me summarize it for you. Yeah, because you, of Frankie was framed basically because the ships that he built were used by people under Spandom to basically mm-hmm. cause a huge ruckus, huge incident. And so, as his service credit, if you will, for building the sea train, Tom kind of had like an unspoken agreement, I guess, or maybe not unspoken but unwritten, to uh, mm-hmm. be able to absolve one crime for building the sea train for this. Thank you. So instead of absolving his old crime of building a ship, he absolves Cuddy Flam's crime of building or of attacking with the battleships. So, so it clears iceberg and, um, iceberg and Frankie as well as Tom for that crime, but he's still going to be executed for the first crime, which was building Roger. Cause yeah, the original deal was absolve of run crime. If I do this deed, of building this miracle train that can go over water. Um, but yeah, so the main thing is also, <laughs> it's, it's super ridiculous, but I love it at the same time. Frankie has one final desperate confrontation because he'd been uh, spandom for CP five at the time. Um, right. He's trying to, he's trying to get away in the, in the train. And then <laughs> Frankie just gets like this giant cannon, just, just holds it and tries to take on the train head on. Like uh, Yakuzuna, Yakuzuna, the frog earlier, but fails, unfortunately, because the train's almost impervious and Spandam right. just slashes his ass off. Oh, I, I do want to note here that Spandam, I think, was like punched in the face like three times or two times in this flashback sequence. Once by Frankie and one by Tom, I think. Yes. And he is a mess. Like he's wearing bandages. And even then, I'm just like, that's not enough, man. Like I'm hoping for the Luffy punch uh, against ugh, that. That random no-name pirate that was before Skypia, um, Bellamy, uh, yeah, just still, like, still the I, most I satisfying that. punch in One Piece. <laughs> <laughs> now, see if that punch was on this dude, maybe because I have a feeling he'll be a bigger character. That that would be so righteous. That would be so righteous, exactly. But yeah, I'm because you're covering bandages. I'm just like, oh, he deserves far worse. But yeah, Frankie gets overrun by the train. Everyone, that's the accident. People say that's where Cuddy found died. And because Frankie was too stubborn to die, he finds an abandoned ship that I thought originally was one of his ships that was lost at sea, but it was just an abandoned ship. 
and he just made himself a cyborg out of scrap metal. Right. Don't ask <laughs> yeah. questions. Shut the hell up, okay? He did it, Shit. and now he can... And it's now he the can... Tony Stark in a cave scenario. Yeah, okay? It's yeah, fine. Tony Flam built this on an abandoned ship. Yeah, in the middle of, of the sea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if the implication, actually, though, is that he built it, like, on that ship or that he recovered and then you know at some point later made himself in my in my version it's the, i like yours head, it's though, the dumbest yeah. version <laughs> he it's did the dumbest it on, version. That, yeah, on that ship yeah. it's like oh you mean this random sheet metal that's used to patch these holes like fuck it i i with my crazy shipwright dismantler abilities i turned myself into a cyborg i'll accept that because like, even then i think they have a later scene where iceberg talks to frankie uh be, well sorry Cuddy Flam before he officially becomes Frankie, where I think he literally asked, "Wait, how'd you even do it?" And he's just like, "I just found scrap metal." I think it was intentionally made to sound dumb and vague because it's coming from mm-hmm. Cuddy Flam. So I'm just like, you know what? I'll accept it. I ain't asking questions. He's a cyborg. I'll deal with it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the major thing of that flashback was the blueprints being handed to Frankie, uh, Spandam very likely being a recurring villain in the future, and again like the whole origin of why frankie understands ships oh the biggest thing which also solidified to me that he's a straw hat is not only do you have a flashback you have a dream a goal we get frankie's or cutty flam's goal is i wrote it down somewhere where i want it somewhere it was basically i will create the greatest ship to sail the grand line the strongest sturdiest most powerful ship it'll be the beautiful glorious thing in the world and i'm just thinking that's the mary go 2.0 isn't it it's gotta be the or the oro jackson too i don't know what he's gonna do but that's where and again oh yeah here it is yeah ultimate dream to build a ship that can sail the ends of the world with pride with pride that's always, that's a key thing tom said that too I, like i want to build a dream ship like a ship that resolutely and proudly traverses even uncharted waves at the edges of the earth is what tom which said and then he said like i want to build that dream ship too mm-hmm. right which is very impressive because he had the blueprints to this ancient weapon and he never built it. Despite being this background of he just wanted to build ships constantly to defeat Neptunians. He's given this blueprint eventually by Iceberg to, you know, keep safe from this mysterious person named Robin that Tom warned us about. This little girl. And all this time, Frankie never built the blueprint. So it's almost like despite him being like this or. Actually, I just realized it just now. Or that shows, despite the flashbacks, he changed, right? He's no longer just building ships because he wants to. He wants to save it for the one special ship. In the meantime, he's going to lay low and dismantle. Right. And he knows that Blueprint is not that special ship, out of respect to Tom. Yeah. So. And that's pretty much the flashback. Yeah. Sad backstory. R.I.P. Tom. Yeah, not the best backstory to a possible future Straw Hat, but it was good. I liked it. I especially like the part yeah. where he turned into a cyborg in two panels off screen. I liked it. Still, still better than Usopp's, so I'll take it. Yeah. If he were to indeed become a Straw what Hat. Was Usopp's flashback, was, I think, was just him. Uh, but I mean, I hate was, to say it. Loki, even Chocho's backstory was a little better than Usopp's. <gasps> Wait, oh, you're saying Chocho was better. Chocho's was better than Usopp's, yes. Oh, okay, fine. I'll agree with that. Yeah, His flashback was better. <laughs> <laughs> I'll agree with that. I'll argue with that. Um, so I think those are like the major like revelations that we got from this arc. 
And at this point, yeah. it's like just retrace, like tracking down what happened since then because CP9. So you, uh, so briefly, before mm-hmm. we like wrap everything up, yeah. So after this uh, concludes, mm-hmm. we do have. I think Frankie is now in the in their custody as we kind of got to that right. That's before the flashback. Yeah, and then so we the, cut back the to the reveal from Iceberg, who gives to give to Nami and Chopper and Luffy and Zoro and them that are there with him, right? The the remaining Straw Hats, who tells them the truth that Robin actually cut a deal with CP9 that mm-hmm. the remaining crew members would be able to leave safely and CP9 wouldn't mess with them or anything if, if she went yeah, with them to, herself. To advert something called the Buster Call. We get that direct term where basically, right? Yeah, in, in another flashback of within the same arc, but it was it was an extended conversation between Robin and Iceberg in that same room, where she's describing, she's explaining to Iceberg that I think it was from Admiral Ojiki, right? Because only a few, the three head admirals and the main high end admiral in charge, can give this call. Whoever gets this call basically gets a, the good chunk of the world government fleet, like 10 of their biggest battleships. I forget the exact numbers they say, but basically it's impossible to escape. You, if you get Buster called, you're going to be ash by the end of the day. It's basically like a nuke being dropped in the uniform of a fleet. And the, the deal was help us with this and we won't Buster call the Straw Hats. So the big thing, Robin did it for the Straw Hats. She's not yeah. this soulless distant stoic character that Soro and a kind of me too thought maybe she was because i don't know her deal but it reveals no she genuinely did care for the straw hats and what i did like here was that it does awaken or like clarify like something anomaly because she's the one hearing it and she falls over at first and i think like you know she's like in shock or pain but instead she's in relief going oh my god robin did it for us she does care and it just and when this feeling this this news is passed on the East Straw Hat, it's like amping up everyone to be like, all right, yeah. we're on this great big adventure. We're gonna rescue Robin. We know the truth now. Everyone, get your shit. We're going to save her. All right, no matter the cost, no matter the distance. So that was a great like relief character moment for me because coming from Nami especially because originally this was her. She was in Robin shoes where she's the one trying to distance herself from the straw hats going, ignore me. I did the bad thing. Remember back then she stole the Marigo and the treasure straw hats because of Luffy was like, no, we're going to get her and our ship back, but we're going to get her back too. And in this case, now she's in the position, right? Where she's in the crew's perspective and like, no, we're going to get Robin back. Yeah. Whether it was no matter what it takes, we know, we know that little piece of info. Um, Oh, so the, the one thing that we did gloss over real quick was a very tragic moment. It was the last action of CP9 when they got Frankie and they're looking at the ship, right? Kaku, this oh, motherfucker. Yeah. He's looking at the ship going, no, what I gave you was true. That ship ain't going to live anytime soon. Best thing to do now is just to get rid of it. It's a hunk of junk. And just with no, just almost little buildup with no care. This motherfucker, Kaku, he pulls the lever of the warehouse, this the water drains out, the Marigo sinks. It's in wreck. It's gone. Yeah, but it falls off the edge of the city, basically, is what it looks like. And it and basically what Frankie and Iceberg warned Usopp and the Straw Hats happened. 
she didn't properly get dismantled. She's a wreck at sea. It's gone. No, no treasure, no lumber, no sails, cheap metal leftovers. Nope. It's all gone. So, and I think off recording, I told you, Justin, when I saw that, I was thinking, number one, easy, easiest, the biggest cunt. Kaku. Just for, <laughs> that's, that's all it takes. Kaku. Yeah. From that, right? That but is a very I'm holding, strong point. Yeah, but I'm holding back on that because I I feel like it's CP9 as a collective, but at the same time, I feel like that's too easy to just say, oh, it's an organization, because otherwise you just say world government is. Yeah. But yeah. So I'm just gonna say Kaku, Luchi, Khalifa, Bluno, they're contenders. Let's say they're contenders, because right now Crocodile is still the worst one. Right. But Let's say they're all right there, number two, right? They, I think they surpassed Arlong, or at least Haku did because of that one action. Who's our, who's our current reigning champ, Arlong? No, uh, it's Crocodile. It is Crocodile. Yeah, okay. originally it was Crocodile number one, and then Arlong two. Now it looks like Arlong is not even in the top three because it looks like we have Crocodile, we have Luchi, we have uh, Kaku, and I'm saving the special spot for Spandom. Because we also learned in that scene before the <laughs> just the trash, in case, the, yeah. yeah, because the sh- the ship did get trashed. But before that, we got a confirmation snail call to these the small group of people that Spandam is now the one in charge of CP nine, and he has like this like horror movie get up on his face that's covering yeah. up like his scars from him being punched. And I'm just like, oh, Luffy, it's a target, Luffy. That's a target. Please, <laughs> just yeah, the biggest like. The king that you gave that big bazooka to on Drum Island, the one where you just extended your arm like a mile away before sending him flying, just do that to this guy and leave a nice indent in that guy's fucking skull, please. Just from that look, right? (sighs) Just from that look. Because, again, I have a feeling, because we learn, after all, we just said this, that Iceberg clarified the Nami and the Straw Hats that Robin was forced is forced to do this. She's forced to cooperate with the government because she's either either help your straw hats, right? Or they die. And <laughs> and Spandam's in charge. So I'm just like, dude, the next arc, he's probably gonna be the main fucking villain, the main guy in charge. Ooh, there's potential that he would he will he'll make Crocodile look like so simple and tame compared in, in comparison. There's a possibility there. He we looks the part. It's a call it a gut feeling. It's just, mm, just. Ooh, you know what I'm gonna <sighs> say to that? Yeah. Uh huh. Raffo. I knew it. <laughs> did you? <laughs> I, was I can't. I can't ever get what I want. Okay. But okay. Sorry. So we're already at one hour. So if yeah, you disagree with we... my following statement, tell me. Okay. In the whole following section. I don't think there's anything particularly relevant in the Luffy and company. They're now rallying everyone to go chase it's, after Robin. Yeah, so at this point, I will say there'll be a, a couple of cool points of interest that I really did like. Uh, maybe particular panels. Like, for example, there's a scene where out of the fire, Chopper is holding one of Zoro's swords in its mouth while carrying Iceberg and Polly on his back. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. oh, 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 that's where Sif came from. Sif from Dark Souls. Oh, right. it came from... This is time. this a One Piece reference? <laughs> exactly. I didn't want is to say Sif it, but that's a One yeah. Piece reference. <laughs> is Sif a Chopper reference? Um, there's also I I do want to brush over it because it is mainly action. 
But when Sanji split from the team from the last part we covered, yeah, I he said, say, that is, he, at least I want to respect him. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do this too because this was a big moment for me too where I'm like, Sanji is really fucking carrying the momentum right now in these last arcs, these last chapters where he's literally recreating um, like action movie set pieces like the raid or anything like that or, or like a hallway scene from Daredevil where he's going like train by train he's with full Frankie. James bonding it up in this yeah. like spy <laughs> section. <laughs> exactly. With Frankie helping him out against like these mini bosses, even like a temporary new member of CP nine. Um, Usopp has this, uh, Usopp does go along with it too. Cause again, Frankie and Usopp were captured, but they do escape. Thanks to Sanji. And, Usopp is still stubborn, but Sanji's like, you got to get with the team, man. We got it. We got it. I have to stop you real quick. Uh huh. Y- you must have misremembered something because Usopp does not. I was help getting there. I was all. getting there. Yeah, I was getting there. I was going to say, Sanji said, get on the team because we're helping Robin. And Usopp is still like, with what I did, I don't know if I can s- confront the Straw Hats again. Like, I did something bad and I don't know if I can go back. And so Usopp vanishes in thin air. Oh no! Instead, we get the mysterious stranger of Sniper. She just <laughs> jumped off the train or and swam back, and I don't know. I don't know how what happened, but uh, he's just you, out you, of there. You, you, can, you can see it in the background for a panel. You can see like a little glimpse of a glider going on in the background. We just say goodbye, peace. And then like this guy who has a very similar long nose, very similar curly hair and oh, garb and. <laughs> I, I love him, dude. I love Sniper King. <laughs> it's one of the uh, things that uh, Justin here, he did show me uh, after I finished the oh, arc. Oh, yeah. He Had showed me a clip. Scene. Of, yeah, because I have said it stated before and over where I'm not quite on board with the anime because it has aged poorly, in my opinion. But that scene was an anime original scene where they gave Sniper King a whole new like anime intro. It was that like was an super... old school, <laughs> like almost Sentai style in the shots yeah. that it had, and it was it like was an great. anime opening for Soga King or Sniper yeah. King. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm just like amazing. Yeah, it's so like you know what? That's fine. I'm, I'm so if anyone is reading this that hasn't watched the anime or listening to this <laughs> and has read One Piece and has not watched that scene, you have to mm-hmm. go do so. It is phenomenal. Uh huh. Definitely. So while Sanji, Sniper King, and Frankie are moving through train to train, there's really great fighting scenes with each of one of them. Uh, Frankie has this crazy four-legged form that's so uncanny, but funny. Um, there's also Sanji doing what I thought was a big oh shit moment, personally, where he's fighting like the food guy who uses like spaghetti as armor. Like it's another cook, right? It's a cook villain. Oh yeah, the, like the ramen kempo, ramen style martial art, yeah. Yeah, he's actually impervious to Sanji's kicks. And then he Sanji does the impossible that made me go, oh, Egad! He yeah. uses his hands he to uses... wield kitchen knives. Kitchen and knives. you're just like, and you're like, oh, is this shit got real? But it's I because thought... Sanji found a loophole. <laughs> In that moment, I was, I think to myself, I was, you know, uh, the first time, every time I'm like, man, that made so much sense. That he would be yeah. really efficient with, like... once, Yeah, once it clicks hitting. in his head. <laughs> once it clicks in his head. Oh, I'm just cooking. Yeah, I'm just cooking. I'm showing this chef how to actually cook. Because he's clearly staining and ruining the materials and ingredients. Let me show him how it's done. And he goes full-on cook mode. He gets the two, which I admit is actually a really cool thing I never imagined with Sanji with, like, dual knives. Because I'm usually not a fan of that kind of weapon set. Like, you know, in usual shows or stories where it's like, you get the one rogue guy with, like, the dual knives. I'm just like... Yeah, just, like uh, Thorfinn just, just from sword. Vinland Saga. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, dude, just get a sword or like get throwing knives, right? If anything. But Sanji, it really works because, again, it was this dude who's committed on kicking and then he uses his hands with knives. I'm just like, <gasps> but of course, he clarifies yeah. it where it's like, I'm not fighting you. I'm cooking. Because as soon as he gets rid of the armor. Yeah, as soon as he gets rid of the armor, he goes back to kicks. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, sweet, back to business as usual. Yeah, back to business, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, coming from me, who always was a bit cynical of Sanji, he's always on the bottom of my list. And I'm just looking at this going, this is a really fucking good sequence. Holy shit. I'm actually yeah, I, I wanted to give him respect slash credit. Because he mm. does not know the whole story right now. He doesn't have the confirmation that Robin is, in fact, still on their side, etc. But he, nope, he gets he... on that train when he sees her gets on anyways. He's like, you know, that, as far as I'm concerned, that's still my crewmate, even though she told me the other otherwise, like, to my face. You could argue his perspective is that's the damsel in distress I gotta rescue. But at the same time, yeah, it's Mr. a crew Mr. Prince, Prince. That's our boy, yep. Mr. Prince, you know? This is restaurant <laughs> the crap. May I take your order? And... Once he's on the train too, uh, the straw hats get like because he actually grabs a snail phone, and with he leaves a, mes- a message to Nami, which is actually fucking hilarious. Where that was really Nami's funny. like told by a stranger, right? Where it's like message from Sanji, and he's like, and she's like, wait, where'd you get? How'd you find find a message? And he looks at the graffiti on the wall. I don't know how Hard Sanji wrote this shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it's as tall as a two story building. And it's like Nami, read this, and it's like a giant fucking arrow i'm just like that's fucking hilarious dude <laughs> yeah, that, that was very funny i agree yeah so yeah and then he gets permission from luffy because again they're trying to figure out okay what do you want me to do because robin's on this train and you guys are, aren't catching up what do you want me to do these guys are really strong luffy just goes cut loose man i know who, if any of us were on that on that train none of us were able to hold back so cut loose so and he goes through that was a great line as well. yeah exactly go nuts um, what I also want to say too, real quick, is there was another reference because during the Aqua Laguna uh, tsunami that's hitting the Water Seven, that's hitting the island. Uh, great action pieces, by the way. Again, we're glossing over it because it doesn't. Yeah, add anything there's to a, the there's plot. a cool tension. punch through the wave thing. I guess. Yeah, there's a, a lot tense of good moment big where, pieces. Yeah, that the, go on, the mob. But... Yeah, the tense moment where the mob is trying to rescue the the mob is assisting Iceberg Nami and the. Uh, leftover of the straw hats find Luffy and Zoro who are thrown away. One was in a chimney and once between buildings. It's quite funny. But again, the big moments are when Nami catches up Luffy on like, yeah, Robin was forced to do what she's doing and she doesn't actually feel that way. And Luffy goes, you know, like I fucking knew it. It's great. Let's go. Let's go let's, again. It, it gets everyone in action. Um, yeah. And then the same station master that we saw in the beginning is like, all right, so this Tsunami, the storm is way too big. You guys can't just grab or steal because they were planning on stealing the biggest ship we got and catching up. It's not going to work. This tsunami is going to tear you apart. And I know you guys are stuck on time because we know they're heading towards Edie's lobby. Again, it's kind of like the Alcatraz of this universe, I guess, but worse because anyone who goes there doesn't come back out because either you're going to the world government to sign up and train and you're a top agent or you're going to an underwater prison. I thought that was so fucking metal when I heard that. Right. And no one escapes. And I know you're short on time. So let me show you the second train that we have hiding in the back here. And I'm just just like, ignoring the fact that this could have literally doubled your economy if you actually use this train. Ignoring that fact. (laughs) Well, they said she made it clear that it wasn't like up to par with the Puffing Tom. 
The Rocket oh, like Man, a, which it was a quick shout out to the musical reference that you forgot a couple episodes uh, back. The Rocket Man is that musical reference. This is it. Yep. It was uh, the prototype, and they said it's not. They can't slow it down or moderated speed. Right. Okay. That's okay, why that it's sense. also perfect for catching up to the puppy. Exactly. <laughs> but that's why for they this... can't double their economy with it. Yeah. yeah. For this situation, it makes sense. So everyone's just like, All very, right. very convenient for such a situation. <laughs> It's fine. The act, the momentum is yeah, going whatever. so fast at this point. I'm just like, okay, anything to help go through this. And even then, they actually did show that the train it is metaphorically the, waves. the hype train is the exactly. rocket man. Exactly. And they even show too. Excuse me. And it's only they even faster sh- and faster. <laughs> <laughs> they even show too that um that it's still not impervious to the Aqua Laguna waves because those tsunami waves are fucking like hundreds of stories high. It is fucking crazy how big those waves are yeah and but they show of course luffy and zoro just nonchalantly just going you, you want to do a 300 pound attack is that a force uh, <laughs> can you cut the high okay whatever and then they do their attacks they just cause like the split in the wave and everyone's like have their you know their shocked pikachu jpeg faces there's a great one by the way of like the two galila guys uh lulu and uh Talstone, where they got caught up by polly they're like okay we just want to know the truth man what the hell's going on and then Polly just goes, don't freak out, okay? Those four guys are actually traitors. And then they just have, like, this... Yeah. With this egad face. It's like, again, it's fucking fantastic. But, um... Yeah, but so... Strong basically, catching up. yeah, is there any other point of contention in this arc? Because I feel uh, like that's pretty much it. They uh, kind of catch up to Robin. Usopp gets to talk to her for a, qu- a brief second, at least. Mm-hmm. But she is, you know, she's kind of sticking with it. Like, there's no way to just you and Sanji can help me here. I'm going to stay, keep my deal, yeah. you guys get out of here. And then, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, etc. They continue on, right? Into yeah. the next arc. There, so there is one thing I do want to bring up is when Sniper King is talking to uh, uh, Robin, not Usopp, Sniper King, obviously, very important. And he is trying to uh, persuade her to come back as, and he's trying to tell her too, where it's like, you know how stubborn Luffy can be. Even if you say no, we're going to get you. Just make it easier and come with us. And of course, she's still doing the thing because there's still the deal going on of like, no, if I go with you guys, we get the Buster call and I don't want you guys getting killed. So right. Robin is showing off a very, it's a, a more personal side of her. And we get this too, like again, little panels here and there where Robin is showing more emotion than just being stoic or, you know, vague, where she's actually happy but sad when she's leaving on the train the first time because she's separating from her friends, but she's also knowing that, okay, but they're going to be safe. And then now... At the very end, after like CP9 deals with Sanji because they caught up um, to the fight, and we get the full power of the Door Door fruit, which basically gives the guy fucking portal powers from the yeah. game Portal. And I thought, that's fucking busted. What's the limitation for this? Because it's a moving train cart. And he's like, let me just teleport to that cart that's being separated right now, kick this guy in the ass, and bring her back, kind of thing. But yeah. anyway, so we'll see that more. And that's from Bluno. I think Bluno was the one with the Door Door fruit. Yes. Uh, the one more thing I wanted to bring up was the final words that Sniper King says before we get our conclusion to the arc, which cuts off super fucking fast. Yeah. And that is, please have faith in Luffy. Pirates can't leave the crew without the captain's permission. Usopp would know this. But yes. he tells Robin, you don't have permission. We're going to get you. Please have faith. And we have that face, again, from Robin. Where yeah. Again, I have to bring this up every time because we never see robin emote too much it's usually very just default smile or default frown right mm-hmm. in this case it looked like 
concern or a mixture of emotions. So I just want to point that out before yeah. we get the end Shout of the Shout out to Oda's Rock awesome art again. Absolutely. Rocket Man's catching up to the train. We had a funny fight with uh, Captain T-Bone where he and Zoro had a one quick clash. It was really nice and chivalrous, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but T-Bone is an interesting th guy for his brief appearance. Yeah, I thought it was pretty, I thought it was pretty cool. Seems but, like a cool guy, yeah, that's what I'll say. Yeah. At the end of the day, though, this arc feels incomplete. Yeah. Because it, it's leading to, I'm guessing, is Eni's lobby arc. It feels more, more Jaya-ish. Despite it being an it incredible arc, right? At the exactly. end, it still feels like it is building up yeah. to something I else. Wanted, yeah, I wanted to mention that preemptively, that it doesn't feel like a complete arc, because obviously, usually at the end of each arc, we used to give the arc impressions, where would you rank it, and character impressions, and where would you rank them kind of thing. I want to preemptively say this, because I don't know where to put Water 7 right now, despite me obviously having the most fun with this arc since Along Park and Alabasta. Mm -hmm. I don't know where to put it because this feels like an Empire Strikes Back slash Last Man, Jedi. You know, the, the middle. Trust me, you're, you're getting into very well <laughs> debated territory right now. So you're telling me <laughs> after I just mentioned Last Jedi. So you're telling me the next arc is not Return of the Skywalker because that's a good thing. <laughs> so um, depending on how well I love the next arc, I can safely rank Wire 7 more accurately. Because yeah. right now, again, it's a bridge arc. Depending on how well the next one is, I might end up uh, disliking Water 7 more, for all I know. I'm being fair here. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to be completely unfair here and give the next arc completely unfair expectations. And I can't hold this back, Justin. I'm sorry. This next arc feels like Arlong Park 2.0 for me. And that's coming right. big praise because Arlong Park is my favorite arc in this entire series so far. We're going to get the character moment with Robin. Literally, the Straw Hats are going to get their, you know, trapped Straw Hat member, whether they want them to or not. And we have potential as well for an Alabasta 2.0 because we got all this. We're going to Navy headquarters, Eni's lobby. We're going to the what we think is the heart of Navy, at least in this area. Right. So it could be Arlong Park 2.0 and Alabasta 2.0 at the same time. I will be completely satisfied if I just get just any one of those again preferably Arlong Park, because I think Robin needs that character development. But again, I know it's super unfair expectations for the next arc, but that's where my gut's telling me, man. Whoever this fandom fucker is, he could be the next crocodile. Whatever they decide we get to learn from Robin, whatever the Straw Hats end up doing, whatever Sniper King ends up doing, I'm fucking... I'm on the rocket, man. I'm fucking... I'm going there. I'm fucking yep. ready. So... Okay. So very strong arc. We both agree there. Oh, absolutely. But something we have not done for a while, as we can, uh -huh. right before we conclude this episode. Oh, no. Give me give me your Straw Hat ranking. Fuck. <sighs> you you have an out this time, because you don't have to include Usopp anymore, because he's gone now, so. Really? I thought I was going to do it anyway, because he's in it for 95% mm, of the arc. He's, he's not a Straw Hat. No, I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> just rub salt oh, yeah, in the wound, why don't yeah. you? <laughs> give, give, give the full um, list, it's fine. Uh, okay, so seven characters, right, including Robin. Um, sure. Despite what I just said about expecting an Arlong Park 2.0, Robin's still at the bottom of my list, but I don't feel happy about this at all. At this point, I'm loving all the Straw Hats right now. Water 7, all the characters were on their S tier game this arc. I don't think there was a single weak character this entire arc, including yeah. the one I have criticism for usually, which is Robin and Sanji. Right. So 
Robin being at the bottom of this list is only because it's a bridge. We'll see what happens in the future. She's been gone most of the time, but we're getting more and more bits of her backstory. She's not yeah. this stoic, flat character, but compared to everyone else, still at the bottom, I don't feel happy about it. Yeah, that's fair. But someone, someone has to be in the bottom. <laughs> someone has to, correct. So, knowing me, you're probably thinking number six, Sanji. Incorrect. I was actually thinking it would be a chopper this time. So you are correct. Number six uh -huh, is Chopper. Yep. I do not feel good about this again, because again, Chopper had that wonderful panel of him looking like Sif for a brief second where I'm like, that's so fucking badass. But also his uh, dedication to help look for Robin with Sanji and then to look for Luffy and Zoro with Nami and the mob. Chopper like, really did have a rough time throughout this arc, though. He's just you really do did. get reminded here that he's still kind of like a kid. Yeah, he wasn't in, in the spotlight, which is why he's number everything. six. Was, he wasn't hurts. in the spotlight. Yeah, it hurts seeing That's the Chopper, only... you know, in pain like that. Yeah, exactly. When yeah, when Usopp's telling him that you're, you know, we're not friends anymore. Don't help me out. But at the same time, again, I don't feel good putting Chopper number six on this list. But someone has to be on the list, <laughs> right. and he didn't get the spotlight. He was terrific this arc, but he just didn't get as much screen time as other characters. Now here's where it gets fun: the top five. Uh -huh. Exactly. You're gonna hate me for number five. Am I? Is it Luffy? It's Zoro. Oh, uh, that's actually not that surprising from you. Okay. Yeah. Despite yeah, that's true. myself I know feeling you like Zoro, Zoro has exactly. a very strong <laughs> that... showing in this arc, uh -huh. especially. <laughs> exactly. Which we mentioned, but... I think, in our like our first Water Seven arc. I just felt like Zoro. Yeah. He really kind of showcased like. I'll act as the vice captain, whether or not the title is official. And like, everyone exactly. kind of respects his opinion and agrees. Like, you know, like, yeah, Zoro's, we do respect his opinions and we kind of listen to him as much, exactly. if not more than they do to Luffy. Yeah. So he made the big character moments of like, we have to decide right here. And now is Robin friend or foe. He also had the, the incredible break in sequence with Luffy uh, breaking in the doors. There was a great moment again where he's just slicing through. again a lot of action pieces, but also character pieces where, again, that's also why I'm saying Zoro is not like, yeah, I don't feel good putting him right here. I'm just saying, again, my personal preferences and spotlight. He had the spotlight for maybe a, a chapter. Or two I'm actually kind of story. kind of happy that cause I, I like I don't like I don't know if I like Sanji or Zoro more like I can barely choose like between the straw hats like almost any of yeah. them. But just uh, but, for Sanji to get a little bit of respect here and climb up your ladder exactly. warms my heart, you know? Exactly. Typically, Sanji is sitting at the bottom of the list. He's usually even beneath a brand new member like Robin or even Vivi at that one time. But even then, that was during Alabasta, so he was not higher at that point. Anyway, Sanji is next. He's number four. He jumped from number seven to number four in one arc. That's impressive. I usually don't like this character. And then he's almost in the top three again though those i usually don't praise sorry i usually don't think of action sequences as high that's why zoro is not higher on the list is usually a, he's usually a fan favorite but mm -hmm. sanji to me outshone zoro in this arc and that's saying a lot <laughs> even in alabasta i thought sanji had his moments but at the end of the day his quips his little annoyances still annoyed me in this one they were completely handled better i think oda just had a different technique with Sanji this arc in terms of how he approaches his, you know, like, oh, I love girls kind of thing where it's like solidifies like these few small pages that are just really quick, really brief. And it's not the same joke over and over again. It's not just Nami, do you love me now? Robin, do you love me now? It's like it's not that joke anymore. It's a little different. And plus, again, 
great action. He's hilarious. This okay. hurts me. This hurts me. You're number three, three. is it now? This hurts me. Nami is number three. Wow. So, okay. That is interesting because that means Luffy had a pretty big come up for you as well. Yeah. And again, I, I, I'm repeating myself, but damn it. Every character is great in this arc. Nami had some great moments too. She's always been my favorite character for the longest times, except for now two arcs, not just one. Now two arcs. She's not number one. She's number three still. She's number, she's in the top three still. But the two other characters that be her were literally the attention of this entire arc. And I have loved them yeah. too. They were always in my mm-hmm. top three. So it pains me to say it. And plus, again, she had the wonderful Union, dra- Union Jack dress, God Save the Queen, in the first <laughs> chapter highlight. Yeah. But you have to talk about characters, and she's number three, and it pains me. Anyway. Who's number two? I think I know, but I'm not sure. Luffy is number two. Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> and Usopp of shined course. in this. Yeah, part, okay. If you want to hear about Usopp, listen to the last episode. Tell me about Luffy. What, what did Luffy do for you here? Exactly, exactly. So Luffy, uh, it's not just he's consistent, right? Not just consistent that like he will always defend the crew member that no one has else has faith in at first, like Robin in this case. It's not just that. That's stable. That's stability. People like it for that reason. But the reason why I like it is when he's challenged in terms of his usual stubborn beliefs. Like in this case, the merry-go. The whole thing about him having the same perspective Usopp had, but him at least having the maturity and the willpower to decide, as painful as it is, we have to move on. We have to get a better ship for the crew. We have to do this, right? And even to the point where he's willing to go toe-to-toe with his own crew member and, as Zoro mentioned, not have any shake in his resolve. So I thought that was a big challenge for Luffy, that argument, that whole argument piece, and that was incredibly impressive. Yeah, he showed, uh, like, a maturity as a captain in this arc that hasn't really showed Luffy's still Luffy, yeah. And Luffy does have some of the funnier bits in the entire arc, too, where... I think it was twice where people are pulling at his face, but he's nonchalantly still just standing there. But you're looking at his face, and like one half of his face is like completely pulled and rubberized and like kind of creepy. But he's just like, I'm just doing the thing or whatever. But either way, Luffy number two, and then Usopp number one. And I will say where it is right now, this list can easily just flip on its head because. As of right now, I love all these characters, but for the sake of this bit, I have to have every character ranked. <laughs> yep. It hurts. It hurts me to put Robin at seven because I mean it's the same thing. Like even at the bottom of the character, like the Straw Hats, that's still a really good character in yeah, the exactly. overall scheme of anime yeah. and manga. Manga and usually, case. and usually in the past, I would be shitting on Sanji and maybe saying, you know, oh, Robin's not really much of a character yet. We'll see. So I felt like those two are safe at the bottom of the list and then everyone else I really loved. But this time I'm like, I feel really bad putting Robin at seven because I'm just mm-hmm. like, that could easily be top three next arc. If it's <laughs> all on yep. part 2.0 again, I don't know. I'll Speaking find out pretty damn soon of next week. We're uh-huh. going to be reading starting the Emmy's lobby arc. <gasps> it's called Enna's Lobby? I never would have known. 
Yes, and Slaviard. <laughs> and we are going to be reading chapters 375 through 398. That's for you also, Jacob. It's not Wait, quite how many? halfway through the arc. Wait, Maybe how many it chapters? It is 23 chapters. Oh, shit. Okay, because we've been reading like 50, 60 chapter arcs for a while. So, yeah, you can, if you would like, read listeners as well, read the whole arc as we usually do. But this is definitely going to be two parts. Okay. The first episode, I can almost guarantee we will not get past discussing chapter 398. So that's where I'd recommend getting to for the the next episode of OP's OP. I don't know if you can hear me, but I'm rubbing my hands. I'm already (laughs) predicting. Yeah, I don't know if you can... I don't, I, you just say 25 chapters and at least two parter i'm just rubbing my hands going oh it's gonna be good i hope it's gonna be good <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, so yeah that's uh, what we're gonna be reading 375 to 398 of the Ennis lobby's arc but if you would like you can read the whole arc which continues on to chapter 430 and if people wanted to hit you up on social media but not spoil anything past water seven on Twitter or other social medias, where could they get you, Jacob? They can find me at Jacob Myrna on Twitter. I'm doing my very best not to accidentally look at Sakuga gifts of One Piece anime. It actually happened again the other day where I briefly oh, saw no. a character, but this time I'm like, okay, I recognize that person. Okay, nope, just scroll real quickly. <laughs> yeah. And there was actually an accident before that where I had no idea because. I read the arc a while ago. I actually saw uh, something with Bluno. I completely forgot what he looked like. And then Justin's losing his mind going, you saw that? I'm just like, I have no context, dude. I don't know what goes on. (laughs) But I'm doing my best to avoid anything in the future. That's for the best. And as for me, you can hit me up on Twitter. Talk to me about anything One Piece because I am fully caught up at Jitsu on Twitter. J-I-T-S-Z-U. Thank you guys for tuning in. And we'll see you next time. Uh, fuck Kaku. Mm-hmm.